I want you to watch something with me this morning. Take about three minutes. Look at the screens. Hey, Daddy, I want a golden goose. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. Bunker, how much do you want for the golden goose? They're not for sale. Name the price. She can't have one. Who says I can't? The man with a funny hat. I want one. I want a golden goose. Gooses. Geeses. I want my geese to lay gold eggs for Easter. It will, sweetheart. Easter a hundred a day. Anything you say. And by the way, what? I want a feast. You ate before you came to the factory. I want a bean feast. What oh, are those? Cream buns and donuts and fruitcake with no nuts. So good you could go nuts. You're going to have all those things when you get home. No, now. I want a ball. I want a party. Pink macaroons and a million balloons and performing baboons and give it to me. Now, I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. I want today. I want tomorrow. I want to wear them like braids in my hair and I just want to share. Bad eggs. Oh. Where's she gone? Where all the other bad eggs go? Down the garbage chute. Oh, the garbage chute. <laughs> where, where does it lead to? To the furnace. <laughs> the furnace! <laughs> She'd be sitting like a sausage. Well, not necessarily. She could be stuck just inside the tube. Inside the. <laughs> Hold on! Veruca! Sweetheart! Daddy's coming! There's going to be a lot of garbage today. Ah, Mr. Salt finally got what he wanted. What's that? Haruka went first. Mr. Wonka, they won't really be burned in the furnace, will they? Hmm. Well, I think that furnace is lit only every other day. So they have a good sporting chance, haven't they? <laughs> Anybody remember what that's from? W Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I want it now. I want it right now. I want it now. I don't care how. I want it now. I want the world. I want the whole world. I want it now. What a brat. You know? <laughs> you may be asking, you know, what in the world does that have to do with the series that we're in? What does a selfish brat of a little girl have to do with the book of Psalms? We're looking at Psalms. We'll explain about that in a minute. Um, well, sometimes the best way to look at a truth is to see the opposite of it. You see what's opposite, and then you can understand what you're, what you're looking at. And the young girl in the Willy Wonka scene epitomizes 
the opposite of what God's Word and the Holy Spirit want to shape us into. Um, Sadly, I think she also epitomizes much of what we see in the world today that says this. It says, I want it now. Now, that was a nice, cute little kid version, but now put it in the businessman version. Put it in the whomever version in Ozaki County or wherever. I want it now. I want it all. I don't care how. I think that was the worst thing she says in the whole thing. I don't care how. Think of that. That's really epitomizes what I see in the world today. I, 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 it's all about me, my wants, my desires, arrogance, selfishness, and pride. But understand today, church, God's word says that he himself, God, is different than that. And his followers become different than that as they walk with him and become more like him. And today, as we look into the Psalms, we see in God and his people the opposite of the prideful, self-centered girl in Willy Wonka. We see this about God. We've been looking at God is from the Psalms. God is what? We see this about God from the Psalms. God is humble, and he blesses humility. This is what we want to talk about today. If you're visiting with us today, we've been looking at the Psalms, and I just got finished a month ago with a two-month sabbatical, and during that sabbatical, I just parked in the Psalms for two months. Didn't plan on preaching about the Psalms when I, before I left. When I got back, I said, that's what I want to preach about, because I just parked there. And so we've been looking at these at repeated themes from the Psalms. Things that are just, if you read the Psalms, usually the Psalms are the kind of book you read one a day. You know, kind of like an apple. One a day makes you healthy, keeps the doctor away. One a day makes you healthy. So the kind of thing I've always done. But I said for, for, for two months, I just read the Psalms. And I began to see these repeated themes in the Psalms, and, and they began to just talk about who God is and then our interaction with that. And so that's what we've been going through. So for today, we're looking at this. God is humble, and he blesses humility. You see, the Bible does something that is exactly the opposite of what human philosophy and human reason usually does. It elevates being humble. It elevates humility as a good thing. It reveals God, and I'm going to show you this in a minute, it reveals God himself as humble, and it encourages God's people to be humble. You have your Bible. Who brought the Bible? Turn with me. Psalm 113, if you're visiting and you're in this section up here, um, that actually has the racks. I've got to figure it out for you back, people. But if you're up here, um, you can have a a Bible from the, the chair in front of you. Psalm 113. Let's see what this has to say. You getting there, Psalm 113? All right, starting in verse 4. I'm going to read down to the end of the psalm. It says, The Lord is high above all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Look at what the psalmist does here. When talking about our great God, that's what he's doing. He's elevating God. What's he say about him? Who is above the nations. You know what? He's greater than any president, dictator, or anybody in the world. He's above the nations. He's enthroned on high. Talking about how wonderful and high God is. Then it says something that's a little mind-boggling. 
It says, and he humbles himself. Notice, he does it to himself. He humbles himself. The God of the universe humbles himself. Why? In order, it says, to be involved in the affairs of mankind. In essence, what God does is he he leaves his high position to get his hands dirty. That's God humbling himself. Look at what it says in the Psalms. It says, he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. That's humility. God could just sit aloof and be unconcerned with mankind. He could sit in his exalted position above the nations. But what's he do? It says he comes down to mankind and he serves and he helps. Now obviously the ultimate example of this, of God himself coming down, humbling himself into the world, we see through Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, and it should be up on the board here, Philippians chapter 2 says it like this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as man, look at, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, God models humility for us. He comes down. He empties himself. For why? In order to help and to serve those who are lower and those who are needy. That's the exalted God that we serve. He says, you know what? I'm going I'm to come down and get my hands dirty to help those that are in need. And friends, I want you to know something. Those that are in need, if your heart's beating, that's you. Those are need, that's us. He gets his hands dirty to come down and to help us. And God goes on in the Psalms to show something else about humility. He goes on in the Psalms to show us that, that not only does God humble himself, but also that God blesses his followers when they are also humble people. In other words, when they follow in his footsteps. When they say, you know, I know I'm exalted, and all of us in some way are exalted above others. Because there's always somebody lower. And they understand we're always lower than God. And they say, you know what? I want to humble myself as well. Turn in your Bible. All the way back kind of to the beginning to Psalm chapter 10. And look at what it says here. Psalm chapter 10, verse 17. Psalm chapter 10. Verse 17. We'll just read one verse. It says this. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed. Look at, oh Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. Look at it. God says to those who walk in humility, basically two things. He said, he will strengthen their hearts and he will listen to their voices. Now I started off saying that God is humble and he blesses those who are humble. Friends, there's no greater blessing on the planet than knowing that He will strengthen your heart and that He will listen to your voice. That's the, that's the ultimate blessing in the world. Having the, the ear of the Creator of the universe, the one enthroned on high, having His ear and having Him be available and willing to help you in your life. God blesses humility in His people. He listens to them and He helps them. And listen, church. While the world says people should be what? 
should be self-serving, self-sufficient, and self-centered. God says we should be humble like he is humble. And if we do that, he's going to bless us for it. He says we should be humble. What's that really mean? We should be humble. This is what it really means. That we put ourselves in the proper position. We understand our proper position. That what we in essence do is we are aware, we bring ourselves under the authority of God. That we are aware that whatever we are, and whatever we ultimately become, and ultimately all the gifts that we have, that everything ultimately is a gift from God that flows from His unconditional love toward us. That everything ultimately is unearned. It's undeserved. It's not meant, anything in my life is not meant to elevate me above anybody else, or mean to make me feel that I'm better than somebody somebody else. This awareness of this right position should free us from arrogance and pride that generally arises from believing that I am the real source of my gifts and my blessings. That's what humility does. And listen to me, church. This is such an important thing for us to grasp as a church today. Especially those of us in this room in this part, who make up our segment of society. See, for the most of us in this place, we are hardworking, we're fairly educated, we're motivated achievers. Right? It's, I think it's a good description of us. We are hardworking, educated, motivated achievers. We tend to strive to be upwardly mobile. We want to gain more than we already have, and we want to be more than we already are. And I'd say this, there is absolutely nothing wrong with advancement, accomplishment, or achievement. Nothing. In fact, many of the traits needed to achieve in this world are commended by God in the Scriptures. Things like diligence and wisdom and hard work. They're commended of the Lord. But one of the very real realities in a society focused on advancement and achievement is pride. That's one of the very real realities. The idea that I am the center of the universe, it's all about me. might be a, a, a little prettier package, but it's the girl in the videotape. That's one of the very real realities in a society focused on advancement and achievement. It's being prideful, it's being self-centered, centered, this idea that I'm the center of the universe, it's all about me, it's all about me and my wants and the needs that I have are really more important than anything or anyone else that there is, that it's all about me. And believing that, that, that all I achieve and become is because of my ability and my hard work results in pride. And friends, that's the exact opposite of humility. Pride, believing it that's all just because I worked hard, it's the exact opposite of humility. That perspective forgets that God is the giver of gifts, God is the giver of abilities, and that we are recipients of His blessings. That most of what you have, you have because of the family you were born into and the nation you were birthed into. I'm not in any way discrediting hard work. 
I'm not in any way saying that, that we shouldn't work hard and some person achieves more. But what I am saying is we have the opportunities we have because of the nation we were born into and the families we were born into. And the way you can tell it is you pretty much become like your parents and other people pretty much become their, like their parents. You get the most motivated, hardworking person on the planet being born as, as, a, as a poor person in Cambodia where I lived for a year and a half and they could never accomplish what my children can accomplish. But pride says I have what I have simply because I work hard. That's what pride says. I understand it's going to take advantage of things. But the perspective, the perspective that forgets that God is the giver of gifts and abilities and that we are recipients of his blessings ultimately leads to pride. You see, without humility, if you just take a group of people and you turn that group of people loose and tell them to advance and to achieve, you know what they'll do? They'll do it and they'll do it well. It's in our nature. We'll do it well. But a problem arises. In the process, they begin to really forget who God is. And as they begin to accomplish, they begin to achieve, they begin to advance, what happens is they begin to become their own God. And that's what happens. And friends, it's always been that way. Think with me. All the way back in Scripture to just after the flood. That's a long ways back. Noah, the ark, the flood. Remember what happened after that? God tells Noah's descendants. He says this simple, they have one instruction. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? That was their job. And they began to do that. They began to spread out all over, scattering around, filling the earth. But then some of them had a different idea. And they said this. They said, let us build a temple, a tower. Let us settle in this city. We're going to name it Shinar. And we're going to build a great city with this tower so that we aren't scattered over all the earth. Now, God had said, be fruitful and multiply and do what? And be scattered over all the earth. Fill the earth. And they said, let us do something else. I've got a better idea. So they said, instead of being scattered all over all the earth, let's stay right here in Shinar. Let's disregard what God says and let's be productive and let's build. You know what they did? It's a story that we know is the story of the Tower of Babel. You know what they did? They built a great tower and they built a great city. And a huge tower. And interestingly, they were very religious about it. They said, we're building a tower that's going up to the heavens. We want to connect with God. Completely disregarding what God says, but saying, yeah, but we want to get close to God. And that's often how pride is couched. How it's hidden. They built this great city and this huge tower. They wanted to reach into the heavens. But what does the story say? It says that God saw them. And God looked at what was going on there. And he said, this isn't a good thing. And he went down and he confused their languages. And he scattered them across the entire globe. My friends, here's the problem. These motivated achievers. You go to any leadership seminar, they're going to tell you exactly the opposite of what I'm telling you. Including every church seminar you go to on leadership. I'm going to say, just be motivated, go for a brass ring, go for it. You know, nothing wrong with motivation, nothing wrong with accomplishment. But these motivated achievers pridefully said this, let us do what we want to do. Sounds like a little girl in the beginning of the, the sermon, right? Let us do what we want to do. But you can't have a golden goose. I want one. I want to do it, but they're not for sale. I want one. Let us do what we want to do. 
This, in essence, is what happened. They became their own gods. They determined what was right and what was wrong. They determined what they should and should not do. When really what that says is they were their own authority. In essence, they were their own gods. Well, friends, that's what we see everywhere around us in our world today. In our advancement, achievement-focused society, including much of the church world. People say they know and serve God. We're building a tower to heaven. They say they know and serve God, but their actions and their activities say that they are their own God because they set their rules for what they're going to do and they make their plans for whatever they want to do. And no one's going to tell them any different. Friends, humility changes this. Humility changes this. Humility places oneself in its proper position, under the authority of God. So when God says, do this, humility says, that's where I belong, under his lordship. And it says, I'll do it, Lord. That's what humility is. Humility is a positional thing. It's not weakness. It's positional and saying, I function in strength under the authority of God. It recognizes that all we have and all we are comes from God. It receives from God with great thankfulness. It says, thank you, God, for all these gifts, all these abilities, all these things you've given me ability to achieve, you've given me ability to accumulate. Thank you for all of these things, God. It's all because of you. And friends, that eliminates, because I'm under your authority, it eliminates then the arrogance and the pride that says, I did it on my own. Because we recognize it's all from God. You see, humility does not deny ability or limit achievement. That's what a lot of people think about humility. It's like being really beat down, and, and that's why the world looks down on it. It's not it at all. It does not deny ability or limit achievement. Ability doesn't say you shouldn't accomplish great things. You should accomplish great things because God's greatly gifted you. Instead, it recognizes that whatever is achieved and whomever we become, it's all ultimately because of God. And when it's all because of God, then there's no reason to be selfishly proud. It's all because of Him. It's not because of me. So when somebody says, that's great, you go, it is really great. Thank you, Jesus. It's great because of Him. God grants the gifts that we use to advance, and He brings the blessings. Some of you are greatly gifted to do things in this world. You've got great abilities that you can do things that other people can't do. That's wonderful. But understand, God gave you those gifts for, your, for you to bring glory to Him. Not for you to accomplish great things for you and elevate yourself and look down really on a little self-made ivory tower and say, but I'm really better than all of you. And you say, I'd never do that. We all do it. We all do it. Humility stops that. When God is raised up to His proper high position, we're put in our proper position under His authority. Humility simply does this. It dethrones self and enthrones God to His rightful place as supreme authority in our lives. And friends, in that position, God and us, greatly gifted, greatly motivated, greatly advancing, greatly accomplishing, under the authority, under the control, under the direction of God, in that position, 
God can bless the socks off of you in a way that won't destroy you. Because pride, an accumulation, will destroy you. Scriptures, could have taken all over in the Scriptures through the Psalms and the Proverbs that, that pride precedes destruction. Sometimes we understand that pride goes before, it goes away. No, pride is the thing that precedes. It goes before. It leads into destruction. But in that proper position, God can bless you. And friends, understand this. God wants to bless you. And He wants the best for you. But He wants it in a way that doesn't elevate you. It elevates Him. Because we're doing it for the applause and the, and the glory of God. When we do that, He puts us in a position of ultimate blessing. So today as we are here, I simply want you as I conclude to do one thing today. I want you to ask yourself today, as you are achieving and advancing, this really real question. Is God, if He ever was, is He still in the place of supreme authority in your life? Or have you been creeping up towards being your own God? Replacing your priorities and your plans for His. You justify it. You say, but I'm building the tower to heaven. But you know in your heart, God wants you, He wants you to use your giftedness and your abilities for His glory. But are you saying, no, I want to do it. I want to use it just for my blessing, my comfort, my advancement, my achievement, my security. The only one that can answer the question is you. No one else knows, and it's really no one else's business. Have you been creeping up toward being your own God, replacing your priorities for His priorities and His plans? And if you say, yeah, I kind of had that happen, say this, change it. Change it. That's all that's to it. Say, God, I want to surrender to your authority. Here's what I know about God. The second that I recognize that I'm, that I, the, rec, the second that I surrender to God, I'm right back exactly in the center of His will. It doesn't take 20 years to get there. It may take years to realign things. But the second I say, but no God, I want to just have you as my authority. I want to completely surrender to you. I'm right back in the center of God's will. And so if you feel that way today, change it. Surrender your life back to Christ. Say you're everything. Don't be a Tower of Babel person because at some point God will come and knock down your tower. Just scatter you across the world. You say, but no, my bank account's too big. No, your bank account's not too big. God's bigger. We want God's blessings, not the world's blessings. That's the only real blessing. So change today. But maybe you're here today, and in all honesty, you say yourself this to yourself, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I'm not saying I never went to church. You may go to church every single day. I went to church for my whole life as a kid. They baptized me and confirmed me, and I never was born again. I didn't know Jesus. That may be you today. You don't know Jesus. You never have. But something's going on inside of you right now. Something's saying, I need Christ. You know what the Bible says that is? The Bible says that that is the Holy Spirit. He's doing something. He's pulling you. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. A pastor can't do this. It says this. No man can come to the Son, to Jesus, 
unless the Father pulls him, draws him. If you're feeling that today, it's the Holy Spirit pulling you. You know what? What he's trying to pull you to do is put yourself in the right position. He's saying, I've got a world full of, of real blessings for you, but I can't give them to you until I'm the Lord because I want to help you. I want to I cover you. I want to take care of you. And until you surrender under there and say, God, I don't want to live this old life anymore, I want you to wash it away. You know how he washes it away? He says he washed it away in the most amazing way. But he had his son die in your place. He said, because you're guilty of sin, you're separated. But I'll send my son. He'll take the punishment for you. And now if you say, I need you, you can come under a position where he's now your authority and you live under him. Friends, if that's you today, you can accept him today. And I'm going to give you a chance in a moment. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite us all just to bow our heads in prayer. I want to ask you a real honest question. The first question I don't want any response for, except inside your heart and your mind. You say, Pastor Mark, I absolutely do know Jesus. I've asked Him to be my Lord and Savior. I've been living with Him, but as I'm just sitting here today, I do feel a sense of a conviction of the Holy Spirit that's saying to me that, you know what? I really have been creeping up and being my own God. I'm, I, I, I just sense what I'm just kind of saying, you know, I just want to do things my own way. That's you today. Right now, you say, Jesus, I want to change directions. It's called repenting. I want to repent. I want to change directions. And I want to be right in the center of your will. And right now I dedicate myself to coming under your authority and I want to live the rest of my days under your authority. Just do that with the Lord this morning. But that other question I have to ask is this. You're here today. You can be as religious as the day is long, but you can, you can be religious and not know Jesus. The guys at the Tower of Babel were religious, but they didn't know Jesus. And you say, but something inside of me today, Pastor Mark, is going on and I feel my need to, to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and make me brand new. I want to come underneath Him today, under His protection, His love, His care, and His authority. I want Him to be the Lord of my life. If that's you today, the church, our heads bowed and our eyes are closed. Private moment. You say, Pastor Mark, that's me. I want you to do something really bold this morning between me, you, and God. I want you to raise up your hand. When I see your hand, I'm going to tell you to put it down. I'm not going to embarrass you at all. I want you to to pray with today. Just slip it up right now. Okay? Slip it up. I want to receive you as Savior today, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you today. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, you can put your hand down. Thank you, Jesus. I want, to, I want you to just, you don't have to pray this out loud. Normally I do, but you don't have to pray this out loud. But those of you who have raised your hands, you can put them back down. But I want you to pray this prayer. And I'm just going to pray it, and I want you in the quietness of your heart just to pray this prayer. Pray, dear Jesus, I need you today. And this morning, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. 
Today, God, I want to receive you as my Savior and Lord. And on this day, I receive Jesus as the Lord of my life. And I commit from this day forward to walking with you and serving you. Amen.